Thank you so much, and thank you everyone for coming tonight. I'm really looking forward to your thoughts and feedback and, and conversation on my work because, as mentioned, um, this is a piece of my book project, and it still is an ongoing project. So I'm going to keep my talking tonight to a minimum. I'm going to talk for about 30 minutes, and then looking forward to the discussion at the end, the Q&A. Um, if you have any questions along the way, please feel free to stop me, um, especially clarifying questions. But for deep you know, substantive questions, maybe we can save that towards the end for the conversation, but please feel free to stop if anything's unclear, especially as we, I'm going to touch on a little bit of data um, from the findings from my survey. So, um, as mentioned, uh, my book project looks broadly at Muslim Americans' relationships and attitudes towards the United States government. Today, I'm going to hone in on a particular chapter that assesses attitudes towards a government institution that, unfortunately, Muslims have been incre increasingly associated with since 2001, and that is of U.S. law enforcement. It probably goes without saying um, that the events of 9-11 significantly uh, changed the lives of all Americans, but arguably Muslim Americans have seen the most dramatic social change and scrutiny from, uh, since 2001, particularly from law enforcement. Um, even so, what many Americans don't realize is that Muslim Americans have actually played a very central role in counterterrorism policing in the United States, with some sources citing them as the single largest source of disrupted plots since 2001. This is through tips, through various forms of cooperation with law enforcement. But despite this, um, many um, of the hundreds of Muslims I've sp spoken with around the country have indicated that they've been very concerned about the treatment of um, Muslims by U.S. law enforcement. Many feel disrespected that their civil liberties has been violated and this has reduced their trust and willingness to cooperate with law enforcement. In my many conversations, a variety of policies and various topics seem to come up, but most commonly what's been mentioned recently is the unprecedented collaboration between the NYPD and the CIA. In this secret program with no government oversight, the NYPD investigated hundreds of mosques and student organizations and infiltrated dozens of these. They were able to label entire mosques as terrorist organizations which opened up anyone who attended prayer or was affiliated with a mosque open to investigation and surveillance. They even sent undercover officers into minority neighborhoods to map out areas of interest, record conversations. Um, this right here on the left is one page in a much longer report that was leaked by the Associated Press in 2013. This lays out Egyptian areas of interest in Brooklyn. These are cafes and restaurants and places where people hung out. Again, and these reports were not based on any criminal activity, but merely based on um, ethnic and religious affiliation. The NYPD even crossed the border into New Jersey and did similar mapping there. Again, this is one page in a much longer uh, report. This is a Nigerian family's home. The notes on the report say that they occasionally hosted Juma prayer, but in the New Jersey case, there was actually no, absolutely no evidence of criminal wrongdoing. And as you can imagine, this was a, an extremely controversial uh, program once it was uncovered. It not only upset members of the Muslim American community, but outraged several civil liberty advocates. Um, the day prior to this report being leaked in the press, the Obama administration's then chief counterterrorism advisor, John Brennan, was sent up to New York and New Jersey to do some damage control, basically with the Muslim constituents up there that had been actively, actively cooperating um, with the government and with law enforcement and building community relations. I was able to go with John Brennan up to this meeting, which gave me um, a great glimpse inside um, to the, some of the conversations being held in that particular community and some of the 
the concerns that have been brought up in relation to this case. As you can imagine, there's a lot of questions. How long has this been going on? How much did the president know? Um, you know, what else is going on that we don't know that you haven't told us? Um, the African-American imam who was hosting the meeting in New Jersey, he likened the treatment of Muslims to that of African-Americans, particularly in the 1960s, with the surveillance and the secrecy and the treatment of Muslims as something other uh, than full-class citizens. Another civil rights attorney who was there, she emphasized that the, violation, the violating of Muslim civil liberties communicated to the American public that Muslims were indeed criminals and worthy of suspicion, and that the government was sort of promoting this kind of narrative. So despite John Brennan's efforts that day, many individuals in that room went on to sue the United States government for this particular program. Some went back into their communities and asked individuals to um, no longer go to law enforcement if they had concerns about terrorism, and some asked individuals who were currently cooperating with law enforcement to consider no longer doing so. But even so, as I mentioned, I spoke with hundreds of Muslims around the country, and the Muslim American community is by no means monolithic. In fact, several individuals I spoke with about this program and similar ones sort of said, well, hey, there, this is kind of a necessary evil in the post-9-11 environment. There are terrorists, there are bad guys, and you know, we need to you know, come to some extreme measures to stop this extreme threat. Um, one woman told me, while there's the occasional corruption, I don't think law enforcement conspires against any particular group. Another woman in a conversation about the FBI said, while I respect what the FBI is doing, it's responsible for keeping our country safe. I can trust them to do what is right most of the time. So given that there is this wide diversity of views and underlying sense of trust in law enforcement when considering the same case, this led me to ask, you know, what, what is um, shaping and framing Muslim Americans' viewpoint towards law enforcement in the United States? And so... Oh, excuse me. So begin to answer this question. Um, as I mentioned, I did uh, extensive in-depth interviewing. I spoke with hundreds of Muslims around the United States. Sat on various roundtables similar um, to the ones with John Brennan and other high-level government officials who um, have Muslim American constituents. But more commonly, I sat down with imams, the community leaders, to sort of discuss these issues and, and flesh them out. But to make sure I was getting a truly representative glimpse of the Muslim American community, I ran a nationwide survey of Muslim American that asked um, a variety of questions on politics, on legal issues, um, security issues. Um, but today I'm going to focus on a particular between-subject survey experiment that allows me to assess um, different beliefs about law enforcement when they're dealing with Muslim suspects versus when they're dealing with non-Muslim suspects. And I'll get into that in just a moment. But just to give you a preview of what I find, first I find that it's very significant that the majority of Muslims in the United States were born abroad. I'm finding that individuals are bringing with them conceptions and beliefs about government and governance with them from their home countries to the United States. Specifically, I'm finding that individuals coming from corrupt, unfair, poorly governed societies tend to come to the United States expecting essentially corrupt and unfair governance. They have lower expectations for how fairly government behaves, whereas individuals coming from less corrupt societies have higher expectations and believe law enforcement will tend to behave more fairly. However, by the time individuals have naturalized, these home country effects tend to fade as individuals have new experiences and essentially update their beliefs. 
But I find, unfortunately, that as people update and are having new experiences, they're updating in a negative way. That is, those who are more familiar with the U.S. system, with the U.S. government, have the most negative attitudes towards law enforcement. And in particular, those who are born and raised in the United States are the most cynical about how law enforcement will behave, particularly towards Muslim Americans. So I'll talk about this all in just a moment. And we very, very briefly try to touch on some of the literature, what we know about beliefs about fairness and law enforcement. A very long line of literature um, talk, discusses this concept called procedural justice that essentially argues our overall judgments of government and law enforcement is based not so much on the outcome we receive, but the process through which government comes to various outcomes. So the classic example of this is imagine you're being pulled over for a speeding ticket. The literature argues that your overall judgment of the police officer in that case will be based not on whether you receive a ticket or not, but whether your interaction with the officer was perceived as fair, um, conducted with objectivity and respect. This is all fine and well, but of course we know that individuals tend to interpret identical events very differently depending on their backgrounds and past experiences. In particular, studies have shown that the identity of the suspect and um, what individuals associate with the identity of the suspect is known to shape perceptions of police legitimacy in various circumstances. For instance, studies have looked at how black and whites respond differently to assessing a police interaction with a suspect, showing that blacks tend to be more concerned and skeptical of police interactions with black suspects than whites because they're expecting on average that black suspects will be treated less well than white suspects, whereas white respondents expect black and whites to be treated equally fair by police. Now these differences aren't thought to come out of nowhere, but again are thought to be based on past experiences, whether direct experiences or the experience of one's loved ones or the experiences of those with whom individuals closely identify. So in this way, um, I draw on some of these theories in my writer book and I argue that to better understand Muslims' views of law enforcement and government, we need to know something about their backgrounds and the frameworks through which they're interpreting the intentions of government and law enforcement. In particular here, I'm going to talk about some observable background features that the literature tells us should matter for attitudes towards the government. In particular, we can imagine that individuals who are born and raised in the United States come up in American schools with American friends, they're going to have different conceptions of government and American values and, and expectations than our individuals who are born abroad. And of course, the Muslim American community is very diverse. Individuals are thought to come from over 70 different countries. Um, and depending on the type of country individuals came from, we should expect that their conceptions of government might be different. And then finally, uh, the Muslim American community is the most racially diverse religious group in the United States. And we know that race um, has very significant implications for a variety of political and social outcomes in the United States. So I take this into account in, in this particular study as well. So very briefly, what does the literature say about you know, how immigrants develop um, beliefs about their new home country, especially given that they don't they have relatively little experience with the government in these cases. Well, quite frankly, the literature doesn't say much. There's very little empirical literature on how um, attitudes change among immigrants when they move. What we do know about attitudes among um, individuals is that the institutions under one which lives are known to sh significantly shape attitudes towards the government. In particular, we see over and over again that the feature of institutions that strongly shape attitudes is um, corruption. Um, corrupt institutions are known to suppress feelings of trust towards the government, suppress positive attitudes towards government. 
What we also know is that once feelings of trust, of views about government are settled, they tend to be very sticky over time, persist over time, and even across generations. So this taken together, we might expect, again, new immigrants who have relatively little experience in the United States. Um, depending on the type of society they came from, this may frame the way in which they're viewing government. Specifically, those coming from more corrupt societies are likely to have more negative views of law enforcement compared to those coming from free and fair societies, less corrupt societies are likely to have more positive views. But even so, as again, as individuals have their own experiences in the United States as they um, come and have direct interactions with law enforcement, they're likely to update their beliefs um, and expectations. Uh, in particular, individuals, when they go through the naturalization process, not only they, are they required to live in the United States for a number of years, um, know something, a little bit of something about American history and values, they also have to have direct interactions with various law enforcement officers um, and U.S. officials. So you might think that as individuals go through the naturalization process, these individuals are going to update their experiences. We should no longer see the strong effect of home country institutions in this way. But even so, um, as individuals um, come to the United States and they're updating their experiences, how are they updating? Again, the literature is somewhat ambiguous but does lead us in the direction. We know from studies looking at Asian immigrants to the United States and to Canada that more interactions with police tend to lead to more negative views of police on average. And this, uh, and this also is the case for immigrant officials, any type of law enforcement officials. We see patterns where it leads to more negative attitudes. However, when we're looking at studies of Latinos, we see that relative to the Latinos born and raised in the United States, immigrants tend to have relatively more positive views of the U.S. government of law enforcement. And this is thought to be because immigrants are less likely to perceive group-based discrimination. And this is thought to be because they're less familiar with U.S. stereotypes and prejudices and therefore don't interpret those in the same way. Whereas second and third generation Latinos are much more aware of group-based distinctions in in the United States, um, the statuses of different groups, and are much more familiar with the U.S. government, not to mention have a higher expectation of how um, government is to behave um, and treat its citizens, and therefore are more able to recognize when the government is behaving badly, essentially. So taken together, we should expect that as individuals learn more about the government, as they become more familiar with the system, their, neg their attitudes will become more negative. And as far as the specific expectations of this chapter, I'm expecting that naturalized citizens will have more negative attitudes than new immigrants or those who have not naturalized, and that U.S.-born Muslims will have more negative views than immigrants. And as a very final point in the literature, then we'll get to the findings. Um, as I mentioned, Muslim Americans are the most racially diverse religious group in the United States. And again, we know that race has very important implications um, for a variety of political and social outcomes, but particularly with law enforcement. We know that racial minorities, we've seen studies over and over again, are more significantly more likely than others to be the um, victims of police violence and profiling. Um, and there's no reason to expect that Muslims would be any different in this regard. Um, and because of this, racial minorities tend to perceive, again, more group-based discrimination or um, mistreatment because of race. And in fact, in some of my earlier studies, I do find that Muslims who identify as racist other than white not only perceive more racial discrimination 
discrimination, but they also perceive more religious discrimination. Um, some other scholars have suggested that individuals, again, who are not white, um, unable to pass, they just tend to be more sensitive and aware of group-based distinctions. So essentially, as an extension of the previous two hypotheses, we'd expect that those who do not identify as white will be particularly familiar with law enforcement, with the system, and will be expecting less fair treatment of police, especially towards Muslims. So thanks for bearing with me through the literature stuff. Now we're getting to the study and what I actually did this really investigate these attitudes. Um, most studies of Muslim Americans in the United States, um, at least empirical studies, are based in smaller regional pockets of the United States where there's larger enclaves of Muslims living. And this is largely because the Muslim American community is relatively small in the United States. It's about, it's less than 1% of the population, estimated to be about 0.6% of the U.S. population. But the community is growing. It's expected to double in the next 20 years, and there's expected to be more Muslims in the United States than any European country other than Russia. So it is important that we begin to understand the attitudes and um, law enforcement relationships of this community. But what I ended up doing, I ended up um, conducting an online survey through the company YouGov. This allowed me to get a nationally representative sample where I can compare across different segments of the community. I got uh, just over 500 respondents. The rep they represent 45 different states plus Washington, D.C. Of those who are born abroad, these individuals represent 46 different nations. And um, we w weighted the responses based on Pew Research Center's estimates of the Muslim American population um, for those who are concerned about that. I'm happy to talk more about the methods and the design. Um, as I mentioned, I also did extensive interviewing um, for this particular chapter. I traveled to seven different cities, talking to different segments of the community, held numerous one-on-one -on -one interviews, roundtables, um, things of this nature. So I'm going to dive in. I'm going to show you some of the findings from the survey. I'm going to focus less on the interviews, but I'm more than happy, again, in the Q&A or along the way to talk about some of the findings from my conversations with community members. So in the, in the design of the survey, um, again, I, I noted that I'm looking at a variety of observable background features of Muslims. I allowed individuals to self-identify into as many racial and ethnic categories as they wanted to. I'm interested in generational status, whether individuals were born in the United States or if they were born abroad, and if abroad, where were they born? I'm interested in level of familiarity with the U.S. system. In this case, I'm looking at whether individuals have naturalized. I also run an analysis on how time in the United States affects views towards the government, so I'm happy to talk about that as well. And then, as I mentioned, I'm also interested in the quality of institutions from individuals' home countries, so I look at institutional corruption and how this shapes attitudes towards the government. So very quickly, just to give you a glimpse of what my sample looks like, I've broken it down by race and generation. Um, most people, when they think most Americans, I'll say, think of the Muslim American community. They tend to think of Arabs, but Arabs are, of course, by no means the majority of the Muslim American population, but they are thought to be some of the best um, integrated segments of the community. Um, Arab Muslims make up about a third or so of the total Arab American population, and Arab Muslims benefited from their Christian predecessors who, on average, immigrated to the United States before them and were welcomed by institutions that shared their language and things like this. 
As you'll notice, there's actually a sizable um, portion of the community that identifies as white. This is not entirely explanatory on its surface. In the US-born bin of whites, about half of those individuals indicate that they are third generation or more American and that they are converts to Islam. The other half, even though they identify as white only, indicate that their parents are from Arab countries, Eastern Europe, Turkey. And similarly, in the foreign-born category, again, even though these individuals are identifying as white only, they indicate that they are born in Arab countries, Eastern Europe, or Turkey. And we can talk more about racial identification as well, but I don't really touch on that so much on this chapter. Um, yes? How did you locate those subjects? This is a long question, but the company that I hired did. Essentially, um, they have a pool of respondents that answer political surveys. They're incentivized. They have a pool of hundreds of thousands of folks, and so drawing from that poll. And so individuals who are in the poll have already self-identified as Muslim in a, in, a, in a variety of other you know, political indicators, socioeconomics. So the nice thing about that design is that individuals didn't know they were being surveyed because they're Muslim. Basically, it just was set up like a normal political survey with no indication of why they were asked to take it. So I, we can talk more about the nitty-gritty of how it was pieced together. but. Um, note that a sizable portion of the community uh, identifies as black. Most people, when they think of black Muslims, tend to think about the Nation of Islam. But again, what most people don't know is that the Nation of Islam was dissolved in 1976 by then-leader W.D. Muhammad, son of Elijah Muhammad. Um, and he brought uh, what is believed to be the majority of black Muslims into more mainstream Sunni Islam. But of course, Louis Farrakhan resurrected uh, the organization. It still exists today, although it's much smaller than it once was. About a third of the U.S.-born black Muslims in my sample indicate that they identify with the nation of Islam. And then among foreign-born um, black Muslims, these are individuals largely from Africa and the Caribbean. Asian category, these are individuals from Pakistan, India, and Bangladesh, and others is a variety of folks. Some are Persians and individuals of mixed race. Persians, however, also fall into the Asian category, or category in white as well. Um, so, as I mentioned, we're also interested in country institutional corruption. Here I'm using the World Bank's um, Control of Corruption Indicator. Um, I use averages across four years for more reliable estimates, although these numbers don't tend to change very much from year to year. And for the comparativists in the room, I also rerun everything with Transparency International's measures, and the findings are identical, which is great. Um, on the y-axis here, sorry, the text is really small, but these are the list of countries where all my respondents are coming from. On the x-axis, this is the control of corruption indicator, ranging from negative 2 to positive 2. Positive 2 meaning very high control of corruption. At the top there is the Netherlands, Australia, Canada, United Kingdom. And all the way to the bottom, we have countries like we're, we're, that have no control of corruption in Sierra Leone, Nigeria, Bangladesh, Iraq, um, Somalia. Just to give you an idea where folks are coming from, this is just a density plot. This is telling us that the majority of my respondents are coming from more corrupt countries on average versus coming from Western Europe and countries like that, just to get a glimpse. So now jumping to the main um, experiment of interest, basically, again, I wanted to get underlying sense um, of how fairly individuals believe police um, treat citizens. And in this case, I want to sort of limit what individuals are considering, and I want to manipulate the identity of the suspect. 
So here, um, again, in this series of political questions, individuals run into this question. Um, the police have received an anonymous tip that a 23-year-old American citizen, a man without a criminal record, is planning to commit a major crime. The only thing I... Um, manipulate again about the identity is presumably whether the individual is a Muslim, Umar Saeed, or a non-Muslim, Jake Lewis. And so how randomized surveys work is that half the respondents get the Umar treatment and the other half get the Drake treatment. Again, this is randomly distributed. And so I, so, but no one gets both, just to be clear. After they read this, then they answer the question, generally speaking, do you think U.S. law enforcement will treat a person like this fairly? An individual's answer on a seven-point scale from completely agree to completely disagree. So this question about fairness here is going to be the main variable of interest that I'm going to be looking how individuals respond to this differently. And so very quickly, I'm going to show you two sets of analyses, so please bear with me. And again, please feel free to answer, ask questions if anything is unclear. Um, again, the outcome variable of interest is feelings of police fairness. First, we're going to look at foreign-born only so we can see how corruption, institutional corruption in the home country affects feelings of fairness, naturalization, and then whether corrupt, the effects of corruption depend on whether individuals have naturalized or not. The second set of analyses will look at the combined sample, foreign-born and U.S.-born together, and we can look across generational and racial differences here. And all these analyses are results from OLS regressions with standard controls, age, income, education, and gender with robust standard errors. So very quickly, again, we're looking at the foreign-born sample only. Recall that we expect that corruption will suppress positive feelings towards government, so we're expecting essentially a negative coefficient, meaning, again, the effect of corruption is, is negative on feelings of fairness. Similarly, we expect that naturalization will suppress feelings of fairness, so again, we expect a negative coefficient there. The literature was somewhat ambiguous, again, about how immigrants will respond to the, the treatment, I'm, as I'm calling it, whether when they receive the Muslim um, respondent, or excuse me, the, the Muslim suspect. We don't know if they'll respond and recognize that. So um, this is a coefficient plot, and so just for visualization's sake, we do see that corruption and naturalization, these coefficients are indeed negative, but they are not statistically significant. They aren't statistically distinguishable from zero. Um, and neither is the treatment here. You see it sort of crosses over my, my red line here. Um, but recall that we expected, again, corruption to have a different effect on individuals, whether they were new immigrants, whether they have not naturalized, and whether they've gone through the naturalization process. So I include an interaction term here that is indeed significant. And to help with the interpretation of this finding, um, I've created this little chart here. Um, basically, on the y-axis here, we have um, feelings of fairness. Basically, higher values, that means that individuals expect the police to behave fairly. Lower values down here essentially means they expect the police to behave less fairly. On the x-axis, this is country-level um, corruption from the country of origin, moving from low to high. Um, looking at the black solid line there, these are individuals who have not yet naturalized. These tend to be newer um, immigrants. Basically what we see is that individuals coming from countries with lower levels of corruption um, who have not yet naturalized, they have more positive feelings towards the, towards the police. They expect the police to behave more fairly. But as we go and see individuals coming from more corrupt countries, these feelings of fairness decline rapidly. So this is some evidence um, you know, that is consistent with some of the literature that 
indeed individuals coming from more corrupt countries have more negative views of law enforcement initially than those coming from less corrupt countries. However, looking at the blue dashed line, we see that by the time individuals have naturalized, any positive effects from coming from well-governed countries seems to go away by the time they've gone through this process and learned a little bit about the American system. This line is essentially flat, and we no longer see any trace of effects from the home country here. So for completeness, I also was curious, again, sorry, all these lines, um, basically to see if naturalized citizens responded to the treatment, if they responded any differently to Umar versus Jake, and I find that they don't, um, but indeed are, the same um, interaction is still significant. So. Now I'm jumping to the second set of analyses, and we're looking now at the combined sample, foreign-born and U.S.-born Muslims, and have a slightly different layout, hopefully for ease of interpretation of the findings. And again, please slow me down if it's not making sense. Basically, this column here under Jake, these are basically predicted levels, or in a sense, average levels of um, expected fairness for those who got the Jake condition. We have average levels of expected fairness for those who got Jake, and then on the far right, I show the difference between the two, which I'm essentially calling the treatment effect here. So I'm gonna break down the sample into variative groups. Um, looking first at the main effect, Basically, um, what this shows is moving from Jake to Umar, the average, again, higher levels mean they expect more fairness, lower levels means less fairness, to be clear. Um, moving from Jake to Umar, we see a 13 percentage point decline in expected levels of fairness. And so what this means is that on average, we can say the Muslim community expects police to treat Muslims significantly less fairly in identical situations. Is basically what we can draw from that main effect finding there. It's statistically significant. The star means that this is not a random effect, but this is like a real thing, not just mess of the data. <clears throat> but once we move down to the generation and we look at generational differences, we shed a little more light on really what's going on here. First, I want to draw your attention to the Jake category. We see looking at foreign-born versus U.S.-born Muslims, they actually have identical views towards the police in the Jake condition, which I'm kind of calling the control condition. And this is slightly different from the literature that says later generations always have more negative views towards the police. It doesn't really seem to be the case. Um, but when we move from Jake to Umar, this is where we start to see the difference. Foreign-born Muslims, again, as we saw in the first analysis, are not distinguishing between the treatment of Jake and Umar. They actually think the police will treat Umar just as well as Jake. But U.S.-born, we see a significant and large drop in expectations of fairness, a 20 percentage point drop, which is statistically significant. Um, and so it's really U.S.-born Muslims who are driving this initial finding. Again, they are very skeptical of how police are going to treat Muslims. Moving down to the racial groups, recall we were expecting that individuals, or I was expecting that individuals who identified as any race other than white would have more negative views of law enforcement. This is not really the case. Um, first, looking at the Jake condition, we see, again, individuals sort of have the same average levels of expected fairness. And everyone drops a little bit, but none of them are statistically significant except for black Muslims. Um, this, isn't, this finding is not completely surprising as we've seen numerous studies showing that blacks have lower levels of trust in police. Not to mention um, black Muslims have a very particular history with the U.S. government and law enforcement, which I'm happy to talk more about. Um, so again, so again, we see this finding is being driven by U.S.-born Muslims and blacks. However, recall that a sizable portion of U.S.-born population is black. So to make sure that blacks are not driving the U.S. finding, I assess um, 
race by generation. Um, we have to be a little careful because the bins get a little bit small here, but at least get, tell us a little bit about what's going on here. So again, here I've broken down racial groups by generation. First, looking at Arabs, we see actually the same pattern. We see that foreign-born Muslims, we don't see significant movement in their expectations of police. But when we use, move down to foreign, or excuse me, U.S. foreign, we see a significant and large drop, 25 percentage point drop in levels of trust. So this is consistent. Um, moving down to blacks, again, we see the same pattern: a significant drop among the U.S. born um, black Muslims, but not the foreign. We don't see any movement. With white, we see a similar pattern: again, a drop among the U.S. born although this one just barely misses statistical significance. The only group that didn't really go with this pattern is that of Asians, and this is actually um, a puzzle of mine. There's been a few areas in, in the data where Asians don't really behave in the way that um, they're, I, I expect them to, I'll say, um, but I'll, I'll be interested in your insight into why this is the case. I do know from other studies within political science that Asians tend to be less sensitive to group-based discrimination or less willing to criticize the government, but I don't know if this is what's really going on here. Um, and just um, for context, I also ran this exact same experiment with a group of Latinos in the United States as well as um, a non-Latino, non-Muslim population for comparison as a baseline if anyone's interested. But okay, I've tortured you enough with statistics and basically just as review again, we do see that Muslims are um, picking up a sense of mi systematic mistreatment of Muslims by law enforcement in the United States, but we find that it's really those who are born and raised in the United States who are really concerned about the difference between the treatment of, between Muslims and non-Muslims. Whereas we find that foreign-born Muslims aren't picking up the same distinction. Foreign-born Muslims, however, very interestingly, we can trace some of their initial feelings about government to the levels of corruption in their countries of origin. However, these effects fade by the time individuals have naturalized. And um, there's a variety of scholarly implications. Oh, yes. Are you, uh, are you differentiating between are they viewing the treatment of them as, um, is it clear more as a, like, is it race or religion? Because like, it, it seems like, Especially last year, and there's just so many different variables that Yes. Nope, that's a really good question. And um, I guess I could jump to that. I don't know if I should jump to that now, because actually it's a, no, it's a really good question. I've been thinking a lot about that. So I'm going to wrap up and then remind me right when I'm done, and I'll. Right. Yeah. No, and these, and if, in race and religion are so tied and layered and yeah, no, 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 I thought a lot about this, this is a really good point. Um, so very quickly, some implications. Um, again, I find it really interesting that experiences in one's home country do carry over to the United States. I find in other areas of my book that this applies to more areas than just views towards law enforcement. It applies to different types of political behavior and political engagement, whether people are willing to vote or whether they engage through joining groups and things like this. Um, I also think it's really important that future studies looking at government attitudes really do specify um, the target of government treatment because again we saw here that on average um, U.S. born and foreign born Muslims sort of view uh, law enforcement at the same level and in fact when I compare Muslims to non-Muslims in the United States they have generally equal levels of trust in law enforcement again in the Jake condition. The real difference comes when you're asking about the Muslim respondent. 
Um, and I won't get into this now, but I, essentially what I'm arguing in my book is that this is some evidence that there's a formation of a salient Muslim American basic group consciousness or identity, especially among those born in the United States. Um, and this particular issue of law enforcement has been um, motivation for a lot of political mobilization and organizing and collaboration across you know, ethnic and social lines. There's a variety of policy implications and we could talk about a ton of them. Um, my view and sort of my interpretation of a lot of what's going on here and other chapters of my book is that this finding that Muslims are becoming more cynical across successive generations is really a sign of integration, if anything. In many ways, it's very American to be very critical of the government. When you know the government's behaving badly, you say something about it. Um, and not to mention, in the conversations with Muslims I had, especially U.S.-born Muslims, they... Um, really, again, had very high expectations of what, how the government is supposed to behave, is supposed to perform, is supposed to treat minorities. And, you know, in, in these conversations, many Muslims liken, again, their treatment to other groups in the United States, Japanese Americans, African Americans, um, and sort of put themselves in very much these American narratives. So in many ways, I see this criticism of the government, this, you know, cynicism as just a, really a sign of integration. But alternatively, another conversation that could be had is that this is a sign of increasing alienation of Muslims in the United States. Um, and we can talk about under what cases that might be. Um, the chapter following this one, I look at how attitudes towards law enforcement matter for when individuals, whether or not they decide to cooperate with police or assist police. I find that it does matter, um, among other things, of course, but it is significant for that. So thank you so much for your attention. I hope... I didn't, you know, kill you with the data.